What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite Westerosi pop culture to compete in the dragon pits of contentious opinion so someone besides the king decides what wins. Each week, while House of the Dragon airs, your three humble maesters will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until viper heads are popped and a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listeners, northern lords, and common folk, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the true trial by content winner. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez, and I haven't read any books by George R.R. R. Martin. Hello, my name is Joanna Robinson. I read every book in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood. And I'm Neil Miller, and I too have read all of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, The Worlds of Ice and Fire, and all those other Westerosi tomes. Guys, it was May 19th, 2019, when we last got a new entry into A Song of Ice and Fire, and Drogon, our then-favorite dragon, melted the Iron Throne. Now, we've had time to reorient and regroup, and it's time to decide the best Game of Thrones episode here on the precipice of a new George R.R. R. Martin adaptation. But before mentioning one of our least favorite finales, let's find out who won our best. Joanna, how did we do last week? Well... Some of us did extremely well. Good old Heisenberg himself. The Heisenberg of this podcast, Neil Miller, comes out wildly on top. 49.2% of the vote. He is the one who knocks. Breaking bad. Resounding answer from our audience that this was the best uh, TV series finale of all time. And I'm curious how people feel after the Better Call Saul finale, which I thought was even better than Breaking Bad finale. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I, uh, I slid into my 
current usual spot, which is second place, 25.2% of the vote for the good place. Dave came in his usual, <laughs> the bronze bitch himself, <laughs> Dave Gonzalez, 15.9% of the vote for Avatar The Last Airbender. And our listener, uh, last place lost. We all agree that this is a travesty that Lost got so so few votes. We we put it on the uh, poll to uh, to prove a point, and our listeners were like, "Here's our point that we want to prove you're wrong." So um, anyway, Lost. It's a great show and a tremendous ending, and and you should all reconsider it. Uh, we're here today to talk to you about House of the Dragon. Um, a little bit the you know this upcoming. Thrones prequel series that three of us will be covering. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, our anticipation of it, what we expect from it, all that kind of stuff before we get into this debate. And then the format's going to change a bit as sort of Dave alluded to as we go forward with our House of the Dragon discussion. It's not going to be very debate-focused. It's going to be sort of similar. If you followed us over from Storm of Spoilers, a show we used to do about Game of Thrones, we used to do Send a Raven Mailbag uh, episodes. And that's sort of closer to what we will be doing on Thursdays every week in your feed. So you can still email us trialbycontent at gmail.com, but we're looking more for like questions, comments, concerns, things that we can address uh, for you guys later on in the week after the episode has aired, answering some lore stuff. Dave is our friendly neighborhood what the hell is going on guy, which is, which a part he plays extremely well. So, um, that's right. I watch a lot of TV and don't read a lot of books and that's the <laughs> expertise that I'm bringing. You read a lot of wikis though. And you got, yeah, that's you, true. You come with the jokes, um, on the spoiler front, let me make something really clear. Like previously on storm of spoilers, we were all the way in on the spoiler pool on trial by content. It's going to be a little different. Uh, we are not doing production spoilers, leaks, anything like that. But we, what we do know is that George R. R. Martin has written a whole book called Fire and Blood that this show is based on. And Neil and I have read that book. And so we're going to be talking about some book stuff. Maybe not in every section of the podcast. We might do like a storm and a calm section, which is something we used to do over in Storm of Spoilers. But uh, that's the kind of spoilers we're talking about uh, when we talk about Spoilers, we mean from the book itself, the source material. Um, before we get into House of the Dragon expectations, excitements, uh, concerns, questions, <laughs> Neil Miller, I was wondering if you could start with uh, this question we get a lot from listeners about what the ideal TV settings are. Let me give you a little slight preamble on that. When the Long Night, an infamous episode from the final season of Game of Thrones, aired this big battle at Winterfell, a lot of people had this complaint that they couldn't see what was going on. They were like, why is it so dark in this long night? And Neil Miller, hero, uh, former Best Buy employee, a cinephile, um, <laughs> came through with some like proper settings to calibrate your TV to so you can better see what's going on. He was like, what are you guys talking about? This is a beautiful episode of television. Um this is especially relevant here because the director of that episode, Miguel Sapochnik, is one of the co-showrunners in House of the Dragon. Now, House of the Dragon is, I think Miguel is probably a little gun shy for that episode and is not going to try to <laughs> film things in the dead of night so much anymore. But just in case he does, Neil, like how should our, how should we calibrate the settings on our, our TV? Sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, even if Miguel Sapochnik makes uh, the correct choice to set more of this show in the daytime than the end of <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, there still will be plenty of dark and dark scenes. And if it's anything like the original series, a lot of commitment to natural light 
which means the only light we're getting inside is from candles, um, which, you know, creates some some dark corners. But there's some very basic things. And, and these are things that I would recommend not just for Game of Thrones, but in general, if you like watching movies on your television and you've never played with any of the settings, these will help everything look better. But specifically, uh, they will help you uh, get some some better eyes on our House of the Dragon character. So the first thing we want to do with any TV is turn off a feature called motion smoothing. And uh, a lot of new TVs have this. Any TV bought in, I would say, the last decade uh, or even longer has motion smoothing of some kind. If you go into your uh, settings and you look for motion smoothing or action smoothing or any feature that every TV manufacturer calls it something different, Anything that says it's going to smooth out what's on your screen, turn that shit off, like right now. Uh, just if if Ryan Johnson were at your house right now, he would turn it off for you. That is how bad <laughs> this single TV feature is. Um, That's all he's been doing since uh, the last Jedi, yeah, exactly. just going house to house fixing people's TVs. I got a text from my brother-in-law the other day, and he's like, "I'm at your parents' house, and I'm turning off the motion smoothing on their mm-hmm. television." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so number one, turn off motion smoothing. If uh, you can't find it on your TV model, you can always just Google your TV model and motion smoothing. And I assure you, someone on the internet has has done it. Uh, also, while you're in there, a lot of TVs come with modes that are like movie mode or cinema mode. Some of the really fancy ones even come with one called filmmaker mode. If you have that, just start by turning that on because that will do a lot of the work for you. And it'll set your brightness and your contrast and everything will look a lot better. So if you've got a movie or cinema or filmmaker mode on your TV, turn that on. Then it's important to, to point out that the ambient light in your room does matter. The darker you can make the room where your TV is in, the better this will all work. But even in brighter rooms, you should still be able to adjust the settings and see darker details like the episode The Long Night. So there's a couple of settings you want to you want to mess with. First of all, a lot of folks, they just turn their brightness up because they think, oh, my TV needs to be brighter. That's not great. You got to resist the urge to turn that up. You should have that right around the middle, somewhere at 50%. What you do want to turn up is your contrast because we want a difference between white and black to be to be great. We want to see the details in things that are dark colors on dark colors in dark environments. Uh, so you want to turn your contrast up, turn your brightness down. And if your television has a color temperature setting, most likely when it came out of the box, it was set to cool. And you want to switch it the other way to warm colors. Because here's a fun fact about your all these TVs. They are set to come out of the box and go right onto a showroom floor, which is uh, underneath a bunch of fluorescent lights in a warehouse somewhere. So uh, not really set for your for your living room. So you want to go contrast up, brightness down a little bit, color temperature warm. And my last tip is if your television has any kind of automatic light sensor or a power saving mode, it's good to turn that off because what that does is it's your television adjusting the backlight and it can, uh, if it dims, the whole TV gets dim. So you just kind of want to turn that feature off and let it be the same brightness all the time. Maybe not great for the long term uh, because it uses more energy. So that's a more advanced tip. But uh, it will help you if you're having trouble seeing stuff on your television. <laughs> so uh, so you have it. Uh, keep your brightness down, your contrast up, your colors warm, and uh, darken those, those windows in your room. But I will say this. When we watched the finale of Game of Thrones, 
the Iron Throne. We were at Joanna Robinson's house, her old house. And this is a place where her television was mounted on a wall and surrounded <laughs> by windows. So there was no chance of us getting that room dark because we would have killed all of her plants if we did that. So, uh, but Dave and I watched it there. It looked great. We made sure that the settings were right. Still looked pretty good. I mean, the ideal place to see an episode like that, of course, is in a movie theater where it's super dark um, and there's no light other than a projector, but we can't watch House of the Dragon in a movie theater. You got to do it in your living room. So I say be prepared and uh, then you won't have to go on Twitter later and you can find other things to complain about in the episode. Not that it's too dark. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I remember when you came over that weekend to watch the finale with me, um, the first thing I made you do was change the settings on my TV. Mm -hmm. So thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, and I kept them ever no since. Um, all right. Well, that still a, holds up. On genuinely, not a not a like month goes by since that all happened that someone hasn't asked me what are the TV settings again? What are the Neil Miller TV <laughs> settings? So there you go. There they are for you. Neil might like write up a blog post about them or something like that. But um, some point. That's you know just just listen to Neil's gentle honeyed tones tell you how to fix your television you'll 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 thank us for it the details are there you just have to be able to see them <laughs> all right so let's talk about house of the dragon a bit um this uh series is debuting on sunday um it is a prequel series set hundreds of years before the events of game of thrones Um, so no characters that you've ever met before are alive in this TV series. Bunch of new characters, a lot of them Targaryens, a lot of them blonde, and then some dragons. Um, we have, between us, spent a lot of times on our respective shows talking about sort of preview House of the Dragon stuff. And the three of us did a breakdown over on the Ringerverse channel talking about, um, uh, I think it was like the second teaser, maybe the first teaser. Um, I know Dave and Neil have done discussions over on their channel. Um, Mallory and I have spent a lot of time on the Ringerverse getting hyped and prepped for this. Um, So I guess like with all that prep we've been doing, Neil's been rewatching some episodes. Dave's been hitting the wikis. Like, I'm gonna start with Dave. Dave, what's your expectation level? Like, are you excited? Are you dreading this? How burned do you still feel from the end of Thrones? Like, where are you? Here's what I'm excited for the most. We're going back to a situation where what I know about the prompt of this series is it is about politics. It's about who's gonna take over the throne. It's about families and weird marriages. And these are the things that uh, got me excited about the first four seasons of Game of Thrones when it was, in the majority, a a show about medieval politics that had like hints of the supernatural around the edges, but that was not the focus. Having rewatched some Game of Thrones episodes for this debate, uh, that changed drastically. What I defined Game of Thrones, the series as... Became, you know, the ice versus fire uh, showdown. Uh, Cersei's uh, importance rose highly uh, with some explosive moments. Uh, Everything sort of got turned up to 11, which is great. But some of my favorite episodes in hindsight were sort of puzzling out the past uh, as, you know, Ned Stark was on the King's Road. Uh, That's, I think, very intriguing television that leaves some space for some great television actors to really sink their teeth into some medieval history level uh, dialogue and conniving and all that sort of thing. So I'm hoping 
that when we uh, get to House of the Dragon, uh, we slow play uh, as many gigantic dragon battles as we can. I know we're going to get them. I know people love them, uh, but I don't think it needs to be uh, the, the center of the series. All right, so more people talking in rooms, fewer mm-hmm. polygons Candlelit rooms. fighting in the air. Okay. Candle flame, not dragon flame. Um, I'm with you, Dave. Neil Miller, where mm-hmm. are you? Well, it's funny because I agree with all that stuff Dave said. I'm I'm into all of that. OG, Game of Thrones, politics, lore. I mean, give me a list of Valerian steel swords that were around in this area, and I am ready. <laughs> But I also spent a lot of the last week in my Thrones rewatch exploring the way the visual effects team evolved the dragons over time and how just wonderful that work is, even to the very end of the show when the rest of the show was sort of off the tracks. The visual effects were were stunning, and it was a testament to, you know, doing a lot of things real. Dragon fire is real fire that they 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 projected from a uh a uh, flamethrower on a crane. They did a lot of, of practical stuff, and they also did a lot of really wonderful visual effects. So I'm looking forward to the fact this show is going to have more dragons and a more diverse range of dragons. Hopefully, we will be able to see different colors. I think we can in the trailers, which is a huge upgrade from the end of Game of Thrones. Um, so we're going to have more dragons. We're going to get some dragon gear that I think is really fun. Dragon armor, dragon saddles. So I'm I'm interested in seeing how the world is different from the world that we experienced in the eight seasons of Game of Thrones. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also very fascinated uh, to see some, hopefully some new locations. Joanna, I'm going to, what I want at some <laughs> point over the course of this show, mm-hmm. because I did not get it from Game of Thrones, I would like to take a trip to Storm's End at some point. And it doesn't have to happen in the first season. It can happen later. But at some point, I want to see the, the 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 castle of the Baratheon household. So uh, you know, those those are that's my wish list. Easy stuff. Joanna, do you want to hear the most mind blowing fact Neil hit me with about House of the Dragon uh, as as he was doing his research? Please. They're technically wyverns. They're not <laughs> dragons at all. I do know that. Well, that's the de- it's a debate. Yeah. It's a debate, and it has to do with the sigil shape, right? Like, well, it's it's more like a body shape, right? No, no, like I know, in, but like, in, it's yeah. been kicked up because there's the question of the sigil and how many legs are on the dragons and the Targaryen sigil. Oh, the Targaryen sigil, yeah. Yeah. What's funny is since I did, since I told Dave that, I was also reading something on the wiki where apparently wyverns exist in Westeros, like in the world of Ice and Fire as well. So George, oh. he really plays by his own rules and. Honestly, that's probably the most exciting thing about House of the Dragon is the involvement of George R. R. Martin being a little bit more intense than it was in the back half of Game of Thrones, right? Because the Fire and Blood, there's there's not a ton of character work in there. There's beats, right? That the characters have to hit. But the original text is very little dialogue, and it's a sort of historical overview. So having George there to fill in what these characters might have to say for themselves is... Uh, I would say so far it's an advantage for House of the Dragon. House of the Wyvern. (laughs) Hot W. Um, Yeah, it's (laughs) coloring wise. I'm not sure. Like I'm 
the potential is there. You, the three of us talked about this over the Ringerverse. The potential is there for a lot of diverse color palettes on the dragons as they're described in the books. But I do think that shape part is going to be really key. You can see from the trailers and promo images already that um, one of the main dragons, Caraxes, is, is um, like very a very long boy. <laughs> with like weird little <laughs> wings on his back uh, legs and he's got a long, long neck and body and he's called the red worm and the book. And they really like leaned into that. And so when you see him fly in the sky um, again, this is like trailer stuff. When you see him fly in the sky, like he doesn't look like, like Drogon and his brothers looked like copy paste versions of each other. Right. Like that's, that's what they're trying to steer away from uh, in this sh- new show, which is exciting because I think it's like 17 dragons ultimately that they're going to introduce to us. So it'll be helpful to be able to tell them apart, especially when they start to dance. Um, so I'm excited for that. Um, and as for Storm's End, um, wasn't like we uh, like, wasn't Stannis in Storm's End or not? He wasn't in Storm's End? He was on Dragonstone when we first met Stannis in oh, Game of Thrones. Right. Okay. So we actually never got to go to Storm's End. That was that's always my some bullet and board material okay. castle I want us to visit. So I feel very <laughs> confident that we will get Storm's End. There's a lot of Baratheons the series roaming around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I will tell you, I will tell you, I'll ask myself my own question. Hey, Trina, what are you really excited about? Um, genuinely, as I've like gotten back into the world and talking to you guys and talking to some of our mutual friends about it, it's like the old jokes and conversations. Like you guys casually slipped in this comment before we started recording about hat on a hook, which is an old storm of spoilers joke, which is absolutely filthy and amazing. And here's my promise to you. We'll talk about it next week on trial by content. I'm not going to go into it today, but like, I was just like, Oh yeah. Hat on a hook. What a tease. Right. Or the dragon (laughs) feller or like, you know, like all of that stuff, like all coming flooding back to me. So, you know, we won't lean entirely on old jokes. We'll have brand new jokes for all these new incestuous blondes. But, um, (laughs) I was just like, it's like the language the vocabulary of of covering the show so intensely for so many years. I'm really, really excited. Remember about. when the fandom made up Clegane Bowl and then they they did it? Yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I don't know if I want that sort of reaction <laughs> with a show, but we had it and it was fun. I mean, the hardest part is teaching my computer that I can spell words that have multiple Ys in them, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that my notes, it's not constantly changing my notes. I had a little bit forgotten about the <laughs> fact that we like we manifested Cleganeville, and then Weiss and Benioff were like, all of the fans have been clamoring for Cleganeville, so we gave them what they wanted. And I was like, okay. Um, anyway. We were so excited, we forgot where the Iron Fleet was. We kind of <laughs> forgot about the Iron Fleet. Okay, yep. so we're here not to talk directly about House of the Dragon. Mallory Rubin and I will have a sort of primer episode up on the Ring of Verse this week to get ready for Frost the Dragon. And as I mentioned, we've had several. And then we will be covering it intensively over the Ring of Verse and then covering it later in the week, as I mentioned on this episode. So what we thought would be fun to do today was just to look back at Thrones and pick out our favorite episode as a way to sort of highlight 
sort of what Dee was alluding to, what do you value in a throne story? Like, what is what is it you're hoping to see more of? What lessons do you hope they learn from positively? What, you know, what takeaways do you hope they don't have? All of that sort of stuff. So, Neil Miller, what mm-hmm. are the rules of our debate today? Well, this is probably the simplest, but also the most complicated debate that we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Your choice for the best episode of Game of Thrones must be an episode, and I would say an episode that aired as part of the eight seasons of oh, so not Game the unaired pilot. So oh, oh, oh god, oh god! <laughs> the first pretrial dismissal is the unaired oh, my pilot. Notes. <laughs> a pilot so bad they will not show it to us even after they've won like a mountain of Emmys, right? I mean, in addition to wanting to visit Storm's End, I desperately still want to see that that unaired pilot. It's all I want in the world. Yep. Uh, all right. So that's it's pretty straightforward. But as we always do, we've got a couple of awards to give out. The first is category crown, and I think there's really only one person who can who the who can have the crown for Game of Thrones. It is the Archmaster of our hearts, George R. R. Martin, who. I think at this point, uh, I have personally forgiven for a lot of things, including the fact that he hasn't finished that story. But uh, George created all of these characters. He created this world. He wrote a number of the episodes that we will be discussing at at certain points during this uh, podcast. It's all about George. He is still working on it, and he's now working on the hot D. So, George, you are our category crown. Our category clown is, uh, I guess this is sort of a progression. It is Dan Weiss, David Benioff, Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken, The Last of the Starks, The Bells, and The Iron Throne. So we have the two showrunners of Game of Thrones, who, honestly, they also wrote a number of the episodes we're about to talk about as the best of Game of Thrones, but they were the sort of driving forces behind the story decisions that led us to the four absolute worst episodes of this show. And it's it's not really close. So Dan and Dave, uh, much respect for what you pulled off in eight seasons, but also a bunch of not love for a couple of these real stinkers. Which brings us, as it always does, to our pretrial dismissals. This is, as always, a list of great contenders that did not make the debate. This was an incredibly tough one because as much as there are, yes, some some bad episodes of Game of Thrones <laughs> that you don't need to revisit anywhere uh, in your life for emotional reasons, there are also a lot of really good episodes of Game of Thrones. So it was sort of surprising to see these, I believe, five episodes they all got nominations, or one of them was uh, my runner-up, but uh, they are not going to make the debates. The first one is Baylor season you guys are one. Get really bad about one of these. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> at least one of these. <laughs> uh, Baylor season one, episode nine. Uh, that's the one where Sir Illyn brings Joffrey, the head of Ned Stark, and that is one uh, an, an incident in both the show and the books that really sort of sent this train up to the next level. We also have season four, The Lion and the Rose, which is the purple wedding. Not the only Thrones wedding that we will be talking about today. I am sure of that. Uh, We get a great Joffrey death. We get some 
really amazing Oberyn Martell stuff. And speaking of Oberyn Martell, also on the dismissals list is The Mountain and the Viper, season four, episode eight. By far the most difficult one for me personally to rewatch because that ending is something. And Who's going to save Grogu now? <laughs> the Red Viper of Dorne, who was too beautiful for this world. He uh, did not last through The Mountain and the Viper. Got caught monologuing. Anyway, back to our list. We have Season 6, Episode 9, The Battle of the Bastards, which is uh, an episode that I was reminded not only has a huge battle at Winterfell, of course, RIP 1-1, uh, do not RIP Ramsey Bolton, but it also starts with a really great sequence in Marine where Daenerys uses her three dragons to roast the fleet outside Marine. So the Battle of the Bastards is probably the, the, the first runner-up that did not make the debate, I would say. Kai, our, our, our uh, intern is speaking for the people in the Zoom chat right now. Sure. I um, really imagine a lot of people are pissed about Battle of the Bastards. We are a, like unusually not as high on Battle of the Bastards as most human beings are. There and are not a lot of good or sensical decisions in that episode. <laughs> what was uh, Sansa there's am- amazing action. <laughs> we'll never get over it. Does Rickon know how to run away? He's the youngest Stark. Surely he's been running from people his whole life. <laughs> we'll come back to Rickon, actually. Um, my final one on the dismissals list is The Spoils of War, which is season seven, episode four, in which Lannister loot trains get roasted <laughs> on the gold road by Daenerys and her dragons, or just her one dragon, and her Dothraki riders are pretty awesome in that episode. Um, a pretty good sequence in an otherwise just fine episode of television. Uh, so there you have it. Pre-trial dismissals. Some tough cuts this week for the best Game of Thrones episode. Which means it's time to hear who we picked as our champions for this episode. Uh, This week, each host is going to have maybe a minute. Uh, We all are pretty passionate about this, uh, but we're going to give our pitch for our choice. Uh, It's going to start with Neil because he won last week, then Joanna, then me, and then final arguments will, of course, go in reverse after we pick a listener pick. That's how it's going. Let's let's get into the pits. All right, I am happy to kick us off with a question. Do you remember where you were on June 2nd, 2013? If you're listening to us, you were probably settling in to watch what would go on to become one of the most iconic episodes of TV ever. And certainly the moment where Game of Thrones took its murderous impulses to the next level. Because whether it was in the books or on TV, no one is likely to forget forget where they were when they first experienced the Red Wedding. It is, however, possible and completely forgivable if you've forgotten all of the other important stuff that happens in this episode, including Daenerys' boys Jorah, Grey Worm, and Dario Naharis 1.0 taking the city of Yunkai under darkness, Jon Snow and Egret having an arrow-filled breakup at a broken mill. Inside the aforementioned mill, Bran wargs into Hodor for the first time and decides that he must send his brother, Rickon, off to the last hearth to seek refuge with the Umbers while he goes north of the wall in search of the three-eyed raven. It is noted that the Umbers also do not know how to run in a serpentine pattern. But then, (laughs) after we've returned to the Riverlands to watch newlyweds Edmure Tully and Rosalind Frey be carried off for their betting ceremony, just when it feels like things might work out for those Starks, we hear it. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. 
An actually chipper rendition of the song The Reigns of Casimir, Song of House Lannister, then quiet, then an explosion of violence as Rob Stark, his new queen, his unborn son Ned, and all of his most loyal bannermen are slaughtered by the Freys and the Boltons. It's a horrific party that Arya and the Hound were lucky to be shut out of, and in the end, before the show cuts to silence and credits, we are witness to the final moments of a mother pleading for the survival of her firstborn son, the King in the North. I think we know how the rest goes, but we're going to play the clip anyway. Let's hear it, Carlos. Lord Warley, enough! Let it end! Please, he is my son. My first son. Let him go, and I swear we will forget this. I swear it by the old gods and you. We will take no vengeance. You already swore me one oath right here in my castle. You swore by all the gods your son would marry my daughter. Take me for a hostage. But let Rob go. Rob, get up. Get up and walk out. Please. Please. And why would I let him do that? And with those final pleading moments, we said goodbye to Michelle Fairley, one uh. of the icons of the first three seasons. It was Catelyn Stark. We said goodbye to Rob. We experienced the Red Wedding. So there you have it. My nomination is The Reigns of Castamere, season three, episode nine, The Red Wedding. Hard to top. Hard to top. Excellent really moment of television. Um, I'm here to talk to you about an episode from season five. And much like Neil's entry, this is an episode where people only remember part of it. Uh, and the part that they remember is the part that gives the episode its title, which is Heart Home. It's a battle at Heart Home. And that takes up the last uh, 20 minutes of the episode, I think it's fair to say. Um, but other stuff happens as well. Arya is, uh, you know, doing her thing in Bravos. Um Tyrion pleads for Jorah's life to Daenerys and Marine. Uh, Cersei's in the clink in King's Landing. And there's some uh, beautiful stuff with Theon and Sansa at Winterfell. Um, but at the wall, or near the wall, we should say, um, Jon John Snow leads a rescue miss- mission for some of the free folk uh, against a, an unknown threat. And we get. The Battle of Heart Home. It's something that book readers didn't even see coming because this is sort of this is a show edition, the Battle of Heart Home. It's not something that happens in the books, and we were still firmly in the territory where, like, we know the Red Wedding is coming. We know, you know, we know Ned Stark's gonna lose his head. Like, we know all this stuff is coming if you read the books. But if you this is the first departure, and I would say one of the best departures that Weiss and Benioff made in terms of adding something. Um, this is very crucially. Our first major introduction to the Night King, we saw him in uh, season four, but this is where we really see him. This is where we really understand the threat that is the ice zombies from the north. This is where we first understand in that moment of you can just see Kit Harrington like widening his eyes. We find out that Valyrian steel can cut through. A nice zombie, great stuff, big, big lore reveal in that moment. But most crucially, it's a, a place in the show where they're still really balancing character and 
fight. In that episode, we have to meet and then care about the death of a number of these free folk characters. The one that sticks out most in my head is the character of Carsey, who literally we get like minutes of. And then later when she dies, we have to care and we do. And that is because the show is still focused as much on character as it was on spectacle and what a spectacle it was. This is Miguel Sapochnik's big like coming out party for Game of Thrones. He directed this episode and he did such a tremendous job. There have been previous battle episodes, of course. Neil Marshall did Blackwater, a great episode. Watchers on the Wall, a pretty like fun episode. But this is when you know, when Thrones first started and Tyrion had to be, like, knocked out because they had to skip the battle because they didn't have the budget. Like, they were sort of gradually building and building. And this is when they really just showed us what they could do with digital effects and uh, choreography and a really coherent, somehow a coherent fight in the middle of a blizzard. And there's a giant there also. One, one, to the sea. Uh, so this is hard home. Just an incredible, incredible episode of television. And then I would argue that the that the scales start to tip after this and in favor of spectacle over character. So I feel like this is this is my favorite battle episode. Uh, it remains my favorite battle episode because it's really still rooted in the character-driven stories that we care so much about, makes us care about the stakes of Game of Thrones. So my choice, controversially, is Hard Home. Sorry, I forgot, forgot the clip. Yeah, a screaming clip there. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the clip. Yes, there's just garbled zombie sounds. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was going to pick the unaired pilot, but here we are. I got struck and like uh, rewriting, <laughs> pre-writing my arguments before has landed me consistently in third. So guys, if you remember maybe the episode Winds of Winter, it is the finale of season six. It is the culmination of book theories that have not yet been written into existence, but then also the cliff that after this episode, we tumble off into pure HBO uh, television storytelling, uh, not even abridged versions of storytelling. Uh, the reason you remember Winds of Winter could be for several reasons. Uh, it starts off and Cersei finally faces her trial uh, in front of Grandmaster Pycelle by blowing everybody up and clearing the board and exacting her revenge on Septonella uh, for shaming her previously. Cersei uh, retakes uh, King's Landing uh, for the Lannisters. Loses a son, but hilariously and gifably, therefore, more for my argument. Uh, <laughs> then, of course, we have like Davos confronting uh, Melisandre after the Battle of the Bastards, and we get the truth about Shireen's death laid bare. She gets banished. Uh, in Dorne, for the most forgettable part of the episode, Dame Diana Rigg uh, meets with the Sand Snakes and Varys, who then t immediately teleports <laughs> over to Marine, <laughs> where Danny appoints Tyrion, the Hand of the Queen, and finally departs on all of her ships to Westeros, but probably most important. And as uh, the end of season eight told us, everything with Bran is most important. Bran <laughs> finally gets drugged by Benjen all the way to the wall where he finds uh, one of the weeping trees and touches it and learns the great book secret that is no longer a secret. R plus L equals J, the true identity of Jon Snow. And in case 
you uh, didn't know that that baby was Jon Snow, a very uh, easy-to-interpret hard cut from babyface to Jon Snow face. It's the truth that will eventually break Game of Thrones, but not here, because not here in Winds of Winter. Winds of Winter is only for people winning. Uh, Arya Stark also gets revenge on Walder Frey for the Red Wedding. Lots of stuff. We'll be all over it. Here's a clip. The Northerners and the Knights of the Vale fought bravely, fought together, and we won. My father used to say, we find our true friends on the battlefield. The Boltons are defeated. The war is over. Winter has come. If the Maesters are right, it'll be the coldest one in a thousand years. We should ride home and wait out the coming storms. The war is not over. And I promise you, friend, the true enemy won't wait out the storm. He brings the storm. And then season seven, episode one, we hard pivot into a different kind of show. So Winds of Winter, rest in peace, original Game of Thrones. Battlefield. (laughs) The battlefield. The battlefield. (laughs) Never get over those northern accents. Except it's like, he's like, oh, Yorkshire by way of Cockney. Oh my God, I love that line, Rena. I forgot about it. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I think these are great episodes of television, guys. (laughs) They really are. All three of them. Um, something we should say is that they highlight some of the like all stars of Thrones because Winds of Winter, as Dave mentions, opens with that incredible Ramin Javadi uh, score, that long musical sequence that is just uh, like some of the best television I've ever seen. And then Reigns of Castamere is. David Nutter and David Nutter goes on to do like who directed it. David Nutter goes on to direct like some incredible thrones. And that was just like a, 
he uh, lit that episode with so many candles, right? And they did that. He did that whole thing where, like, as people left, they took candles with them, so the room got darker and darker. And then, like, the the emotion that he pulled out of Michelle Fairley and others in the, in that finale that's that's a classic Nutter maneuver, right? Um, so yeah, and then mine just you know Miguel Sapochnik freaking rules so big action uh, big, I don't think big night any... king coming out party at the end where he raises <laughs> Listen, we didn't his know arms. later that the night king would matter as much as we thought he would but um <laughs> at that time we we're like well here he is man the big bad of the series <laughs> he'll be the center of all the marketing going forward yeah i mean hard home is i think probably the peak of the army of the dead uh, in the sense that this is where they sort of looked the best in the daylight. I mean, there are a lot you of things. You didn't like the flaming polar bear, Neil? I mean, the flaming polar bear is very cool, and <laughs> I am a notorious long night enjoyer. But Hard Home, the the segment of Hard Home where the where the dead go pouring over the cliff, is an incredibly cool uh, visual effect. And I mean, you mentioned Carsey. I was trying to pick out what is like just the most difficult to take death. Like what is the death you would least want to have? And being someone who is just trying to save their children and then to get murdered by a pack of zombie children <laughs> is like mm. really rough for Carsey. You're going to bring that up when my episode has Septu Unella getting waterboarded with wine and then turned over to be property of the mountain. And then that's, that's all we see from her ever again. There is no shortage of terrible deaths, including <laughs> unborn baby Ned Stark, Rob's child, who is the first <laughs> to die in the red wedding. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of them, but that Carsey one on my rewatch really stuck with me. Like, Oh God, this is like really intensely horrifying. It's very <laughs> Especially bad. like for her as a person. And like so. um, uh, Brigitte Hortz, Hortzorsen, I think I butchered that suitably, uh, who plays her. Like, it's just really phenomenal what she does with like so little screen time. And we care so much when she goes. Um, the Do you guys remember the Con of Thrones panel um, I did with Dave Chen where we like asked the guests to read their final line, like the last thing that they said before they died? And the actor who played Mace Tyrell was there. He was just like, oh, oh, oh. Like, that was his <laughs> line read. It was so funny. <laughs> he went up He does, because he, he, he explodes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know how to argue against Winds of Winter and Reigns of Castamere. Too excellent. I, mean, I should also say about Reigns of Castamere, like, the showrunners themselves say a couple things about that episode. Firstly, when they talk about how long they wanted, like what their goals are for the show, they were like, we just want to get to the Red Wedding. Like, please mm-hmm. don't cancel us before we get to the Red Wedding. That's the important goalpost that we set for ourselves. We just real that, that is such a wild part of the book that we read and we really want to be able to do it and do it justice. And they definitely did, right? And then also because of that unique to Game of Thrones book reader, non-book reader tension that existed in those early seasons, we got all those viral videos of people filming their friends watching The Red Wedding and freaking out, um, which became one of the best pieces of like native advertising for a show that has ever existed. And the ratings took a huge leap between the end of season three and the beginning of season four. And it's just be- a lot of it is thanks to those like viral reaction videos. So if you want to like... Mm-hmm. 
Baylor when Ned lost his head is a big moment for when Thrones became itself, but the Red Wedding is like really what cemented it as like a, having like a chokehold on the culture. Um, is that yeah. episode? And I think it's amazing too, because there were a lot of people that I met afterward who had friends who had read these books, like me, and specifically kept that spoiler from them and was, were very careful. I knew a lot of book folks who were very careful. I'm sure there were plenty of people out there spoiling it, but it was more fun to wait and to see what it was going to be like. So, you know, if you uh, have have been mad for years at a friend who recorded your reaction to The Red Wedding, I say it's time to forgive them because it was a great moment for all of us. <laughs> also, just be glad that it was like YouTube was the big thing of the day and not TikTok because if TikTok was around back then, every single person who didn't know what was coming in the Red Wedding would have spent like the next year of their life in a thousand like side by sides with some Joffrey cosplayer smirking at their reaction. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Not a Joffrey cosplayer, right? <laughs> the indignity, yeah. Oh so my you know god! How TikTok works. Remember when Dave was like, "Remember how funny it was when Tommen threw himself mm-hmm. out a window?" It is great. Incredible. <laughs> I mean, I always assume that if we ever get there in the actual books, that he will go. He would have gone to the trial, uh, like uh, you know, f- figured a way to get there around his mom because he's really chafing with Cersei at that point and uh, is sort of leaning towards obviously his his bride. And so you have to assume that at some point, if the books are going to line up with what the show did, Cersei does sort of get a revenge and ascend, but without Tommen. So if you're not going to have him blow up with everybody, which I think would have been very clean, giving him his own moment of just being like, but just out the window <laughs> uh, is, I think, fantastic. There's that. I think Arya's revenge on Walder Frey, uh, although accurate to some... Uh, grinding up younger Freys and putting them in pies is sort of rushed because we're so psyched to see Arya back and using her faceless thing. But that's why I picked Winds of Winter is because everyone is presented with the exception of everyone who blows up in the Sept of Baylor. That's enough carnage. Everyone else is presented as sort of like a corner pivot point that we enjoy watching and they move on. Even Dario becomes the one person who is like, break, Daenerys breaks up with him, and he's like, I'm disappointed, but okay. And he gets to live! He gets to take care of the new Bay of Dragons! Everybody else who tries to, like, uh, affront Daenerys in some sort of way does not end well for them. So I love Winds of Winter because it's uh, sort of pure television, and I think it's uh, feigning in the direction of what Game of Thrones is going to end up being, where it's like, it's the end of the season... We don't have any big questions because we know we're barreling towards this finale. Let's just give everybody a win. You want to finally see Daenerys and her fleet uh, crossing the Great Sea? We're going to show that to you. We're even going to move Varys across the entire map uh, just so he could be standing there so we could see Team Danny right after we see (laughs) Cersei uh, ascend the Iron Throne. It just, it has some of my favorites and they're all doing, they're all at the apex of one of their stories, even if it's not the, the greatest story. Like, I thought uh, you guys were uh, at least suggesting to me 
after uh, Reigns of Castamere that I was going to see a zombie Michelle Fairley at some point come out of a river. Oh, do that we really happened. have to bring that up? <laughs> I don't want to talk about Lady Stoneheart. Like, why would you? Why would you do that? <laughs> because uh, I, uh, you know, yeah. I, I maybe that episode would hit harder for me now being like, oh yeah, she actually is gone. Because at the time it was like, yeah, she'll be back. You don't have to make sure. the Red Wedding. It's a it's a masterpiece of storytelling. I do. That's the format of the show. <laughs> I have to make the Red Wedding a little bit. Um, speaking of disagreements, I would like to go on record and say that I think the Tommen, uh, the way Tommen's story ends, George should leave that in. Leave that in the books. <laughs> That's a fun, easy, quick way to get rid of Tommen. Also, what a sweet boy. He, he really... He just wanted he really, his, to hang out with his cat. He's too nice for this world. Sir Pounce would have been enough. Sir Pounce now. <laughs> oh, their crowns of gold turned into death shrouds, as mm. as was foretold. Yeah, it does all come back. You're right. I like I, I not that we have to. This is the the listeners' jobs, and I I think I don't know. Probably probably going to be Dave, but like I I wouldn't know how to pick between these three. Excellent, excellent pieces of television. Thrones was so good when it was good. It was so good. Rewatching like some of the early season stuff, just like every conversation just like shines. It's such a freaking good show. Um, yeah, I didn't even talk about Littlefinger. Littlefinger's in my episode. Oh, Your yeah, best friend. Okay. That's all we need to say. He's, he's in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he's working on a scheme that doesn't work out, but he does manage to derail Sansa, but he's for, scheming. A whole, Sansa for a whole season. Listen, schemer's going to scheme. So as long as he's scheming, mm-hmm. we're, we're having Yeah, and he delivered the Knights of the Vale in Battle of the Bastards, so he, should get, he gets the scheme a little bit. Sure, sure. I mean, I like Dave's point about the Winds of Winter sort of being the, the end of the thrones that we knew right in those first six seasons i would argue that season seven and most of season eight are fine um because it's it's funny coming back to thrones i feel like a lot of folks have this um you know obviously very correct take that it it went off the rails at the end and it fell over a cliff what was surprising to me in my rewatch is how late that fall actually comes right it's really in those last two seasons um that they start to stumble um, and I, yeah, I think Winds of Winter is a, an interesting endpoint to that. Efficiency came for Westeros, and the last time uh, there was a lot of good character work might have been Winds of Winter. Well, since we already said there are no uh, bad episodes of Game of Thrones, really, definitely not on this poll. Let's figure out which fourth fantastic episode we're throwing in there by sorting through our listener picks. Uh, Joanna, what are you bringing this week? This is this is my runner-up. This is the one I almost chose. Um, and I'm glad it's here because we want to give some recognition to my friend and yours, Brian Cogman, uh, one of my favorite people to work on Game of Thrones, a fantastic writer of episodes, executive producer, wrote a fantastic early episode in season three called Kiss by Fire. So this... This comes from Jeremiah. We got a number of submissions for this one. This one comes from Jeremiah, who wrote, my my first thought about this one was maybe a big battle episode like Blackwater or Hardhome. But for me, Thrones was always at its best when it was able to keep track of all its disparate stories and service the plots of all of them in a satisfying way using slow dialogue. And one of the best examples of this is in season three, episode five, Kiss by Fire. This episode marks the beginning of John and Egret's relationship when she lures him into a cave and they have sex for the first time and John proves surprisingly adept despite him knowing nothing. They're able to share a tender moment when Egret wishes they could stay in that cave forever and never go back to the war. At River Run, Rob proves to be his father's son when forced to make a pragmatic choice versus an honorable one. He risks losing half his army if he executes 
Lord, if he executes Lord Karstark, but like Ned, he feels compelled to do the right thing, even though we know it's just one more sign that his short-lived title as King of the North is slipping away, and it puts him on the path to asking the phrase for help. The episode culminates in one of the best scenes of the entire series when Jamie finally tells the story of the Mad King to Brienne. All this time, we've watched Ned and the others chide him to his face about what a coward he is. He's been beaten down and maimed. He has nothing left stopping him from pouring his heart out to her of the decision he made to kill Ares to prevent him from destroying King's Landing and everyone inside. This is the first time we've seen his facade of arrogance and indifference crack open, revealing how broken and wounded he's been all these years. It manages to give Jamie a whole new dimension and makes me revisit his conversation with Ned in the throne room in season one, where Jamie is clearly trying to get his approval and Ned basically says that he'll never respect him or his decision. It is an amazing performance from Nikolai Coster-Waldo and truly one of the best of the entire show. I'm sorry this email has gotten so long and I didn't even mention the hound fighting Beric Dondarrion. This episode was the show firing <laughs> at all cylinders and showing how the right dialogue and emotion can be more effective than a huge battle or dragons. Very excited to dive into the House of the Dragon. Carlos, play that clip, please. And here... Turned to his pyromancer. Burn them all, he said. Burn them in their homes, burn them in their beds. Tell me if your precious Randy commanded you to kill your own father and stand by while thousands of men, women, and children burned alive, would you have done it? Your oath then. I mean, Jamie Lannister. I mean, the score plus the splashing of the water. What My is name that? is Jamie. <laughs> Call me Jamie. <laughs> uh, all right. I guess that uh, I'll, I'll go next. And I would like to say with this submission, I've chosen Ryan's submission. The battle episodes will be represented beyond hard home because here's what Ryan has suggested. The first of Thrones epic battle episodes, Blackwater, is the series' best episode because it has what many of the future battle episodes lack, a series of intimate character moments before and during the battle. The episode contains incredible CGI effects with Tyrion's wildfire trick to destroy Stannis' fleet. There are fight scenes featuring the Hound, Stannis, Bronn, and even Tyrion himself. There are some of the most memorable moments in the show's history. But more importantly, this episode features character moments that take us out of the chaos and let us sit in quiet moments with some of our favorite characters. The Hound and Bronn in the brothel, Sansa and Cersei inside the Red Keep, Mager's Holdfast to be more specific, Davos and his son aboard the ship, uh, pre-Mathos wildfire flambe, and Tyrion and Shay alone before the battle to the extent that Tyrion and Shea works for you. Uh, it's those quiet moments before and during the battle that turn what would be a very good and certainly epic battle episode into one of the best episodes of television in this century. Most of all, in a season that is unequivocally peak Tyrion, we see the greatest height of Tyrion's apex mountain when he delivers his rousing speech and leads his men outside the gates, only to see the beginning of his slow descent when Sir Mandon Moore slices his face in two. 
Blackwater highlights what made Thrones the best show of its era, excluding season seven and eight, and became a template the show continued to grasp at in battle episodes going forward, only sometimes successfully. By choosing this episode, you will ensure that the fans walk away from this debate echoing Tywin Lannister. The battle is over. We have won. And I have brought a clip, a little bit of Tyrion's speech from Blackwater. Let's hear it, Carlos. for your king and don't fight for his kingdoms don't fight for honor don't fight for glory don't fight for riches because he won't get any this is your city Stannis means to sack that's your gate he's ramming if he gets in it will be your houses he burns your gold he steals your women he will rape Brave men knocking at our door. Let's go kill them. <laughs> so good. Oh man, let's go kill them. Let's go kill them. Uh, I picked listener Gage, who submitted this. My favorite Game of Thrones episode is the emotionally devastating sixth season episode, The Door. This was particularly an exciting time to be watching Game of Thrones because we were beyond the books, and every week was uncharted territory. This episode is one of the last times that Game of Thrones truly delivered something unexpected, at least in a good way. It showed us how Willis became Hodor, and it presented a mind-bending causal time loop (laughs) in simple and emotional terms. It didn't require a labored explanation. We all understood the cost of Bran's mistake in those final moments of the episode, as Willis lies on the ground and hold the door, slowly becomes Hodor. While Hodor is the emotional heart of the episode, there's so much more to love here. I'll list a few things I love without trying to recap the whole episode. And Gage, I'm sorry I cut some of these down, but here we go. Lady Crane, uh, the theater version of The War for the Five Kings, hilariously lampoons the events of the previous five seasons and shows a different perspective. It is a rare moment when the show has fun and works beautifully. Also, Richard E. Grant, King's Moot. I had so much hype about seeing this on screen, and it was, uh, and this was still a time when Euron was an interesting and threatening character. <laughs> the Night King's origin, another mystery with an unexpe- unexpected and complicated answer. In the story, no one is good or evil, and the children of the forest created the tool of their own demise, Tormund and Brienne. I never shipped them, but these small moments between the two best characters in the show were hilarious in season six. Eventually it got overplayed in later seasons, but it landed perfectly at this moment. Let's listen to the ending moments of The Door. Credits. That's a tough one. <laughs> Sam Coleman, baby. Man, great. Uh, Sam great Col- stuff. Sam I will Coleman. say this. Yeah. The last time I did a full Thrones ranking uh, that's published anywhere uh, was, I think, at the end of season seven. And I had the door as my number one at that time. I don't know if it's my number one anymore. Obviously, I, I picked the Reigns of Castamere for this debate. 
but it's still really up there as far as uh, emotional moments that Thrones delivered, especially in those last couple seasons. I mean, our guy from Lost, Jack Bender, directed this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the stories of Jack Bender. <laughs> our guy and a small percentage of your guys. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> 9.7% to be exact. <laughs> I love the stories that Jack Bender tells from that set because, like, he did not bother to learn anything about Game of Thrones. And he had, like, someone beside him with a binder at all time to be like, this character's name is this. Or, like, that's what dire wolves are or whatever. (laughs) But Bender and emotion, like... It's like it's Bender and Nutter are the real game bowl when it comes to like getting emotional performances out of your actors. I forgot that that was the origin of Todrick Stark, our very favorite. (laughs) Todrick Stark, the Night King. The Night King. Um, Yeah. Friggin' Todd, man. He ruined I gotta everything. say, uh, the tears in my eyes listening to that The Door clip means that I would be voting for The Door to be our fourth uh, entry here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I know. I kind of picked this one as an outlier because I'm like, people are going to like battles and people are going to like, you know, high, high medieval drama. This one's just like time travel and lore. <laughs> Maybe I just got nostalgic hearing you say causal loop, which is one of my favorite things to hear you talk about, Dave. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, Gage uh, must have listened to our old uh, podcast because the original email said causal or casual loop. Oh. So thank you, Gage. Dave don't read well uh, when he's trying to explain time travel uh, and has never pronounced things well. So that's a that's an old throwback to me trying to explain the door. Sometimes he calls it a casual loop. That's fine. Yeah, and, and it was. It was very casual. <laughs> Super cash. Willis just collapses <laughs> and Bran loops him and, you know, it, uh, just, hell, it just happens. Hell cash. <laughs> Neil, what were you saying? Sorry. I was going to say, this is, this is actually even more difficult than choosing between the three that we picked because on my rewatch, Blackwater was obviously uh, made the cut. And it is... You know, what Ryan says in his email about the emotional, intimate character moments. I mean, everything from getting Jerome Flynn singing The Reigns of Castamere to um, all the stuff with Cersei. I mean, that Lena Headey gave us a lot of great performances, but I think Blackwater was a real coming out party for how just how insane Cersei is. When she and, was like, fuck all these women that I've been locked right? up with. Are you kidding me? She's got her little breastplate <laughs> yeah, on her, her little, little gold, gold thing. Fashion it's breastplate. Like almost the size of her wine glass. Um, so good. It's fantastic. And I think it is easy, especially having watched all eight seasons of game of Thrones and getting to stuff like even bigger fires and explosions and dragons at the end that look great, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of easy to forget how impressive that explosion in Blackwater is of the wildfire, how cool that is as sort of a military tactic for Tyrion. But then when it finally explodes, it's just so massive. I, I think that was even more than, you know, the execution of Ned and the emergence of dragons in general. That was the episode that, that Game of Thrones showed us that they could go big in mm. in a huge battle way. So I love that description, but it does make it sound like it's in direct competition with my pick. So I think we should <laughs> we should true. black out black water. I, like I said, that's tough and Kiss by Fire is another tough one because as Joanna mentioned very briefly, the Hound and Beric Dondarrion fight is awesome. The flaming sword comes out, 
we know that the hound doesn't doesn't love fire. We know that he's very cantankerous. And uh, the way that ends, and then when you first hear Barrick speak after he has been dead for a few moments, is some real wild stuff. Remember for Barrick so, Dondarrion? Oh man, Barrick Dondarrion. Remember how he goes out uh, nope. in a hallway? Don't want to talk about it. Okay. So um, one of the things, Kiss by Fire is one of my, uh, it might be my favorite episode of Game of Thrones, honestly. And like um, that Bran and Jamie bathtub scene, I think, I'll say this, that's my probably my favorite up scene of Game of Thrones is, is Bran and Jamie in the bathtub um, just for like what Nick is doing and what Gwendolyn is doing in response and all. It's not, it's not just the shipper in me. It's like the, let's show you a completely unexpected different side of a character here um, and make you question everything you've seen before. And he's so like grimy and pathetic while he's doing it. Um, and also a reason that Kiss by Fire, it always sticks out to me is how enormously satisfying it is that, uh, the Jamie and Brienne scene, the Beric Dondarrion scene, and Egret and John in the cave because she's a redhead, so she's kissed by fire. All like fall under the title. In like, never again will Thrones be that satisfying with like the themes hitting all the different storylines under the title. So, um, and I believe isn't it my guy Tormund who says the title? He says something about being a redhead that were kissed by fire. That might be in a later episode, but it might also be in that one. Either way, it's a good Tormund episode, and I always approve of a good Tormund episode. Kiss by Fire, it's, it's, it's an unusual choice, but I mean, I think it's, it's always complicated when we get down to this because it's like, is it what we believe as three people who know some things about pop culture? Or is it like, I don't want people to yell at me because the door is not on the pole, you know? You think that you think? that'll happen with the door i mean i think we're gonna eat that with battle of the oh, bastards yeah. in I which mean, case we've already done it so like here's the thing yeah i think kissed by fire is excellently constructed and has some great scenes i'm just not sure if it's at if it's at the like firing on all cylinders thrill ride that something like the door is it's almost like they're completely different shows at that point I mean, what I will say sure. is that the door, the door is one of the very few times they hired Jack Bender to do this because they were kind of doing the constant from Lost a bit in terms of like cutting back and forth in this big, huge emotional climax, right? So they call the guy who made famously the best episode, many consider the best episode of Lost, Jack Bender. But it Almost means- Almost 10 whole percent of you. It means that the door- People who hate the finale still love the constant, right? That's true. It means that Hopefully. the door is them like experimenting in a way that they rarely let themselves experiment. So maybe, maybe, maybe what's true is that Kiss by Fire is is the best example of an extremely sturdily constructed series of conversations show that they were in early seasons. But this is an example of some exciting experimentation that they decided to do towards the end of their run. And very, very, like, few other times that they do that, so. I would say that, that that's a good point. My, I have one more point to make about Blackwater, and then I will let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking at our poll. Yeah. And I see an episode from season three, Reigns of Casimir. I see an episode from season five, Hard Home. And I already see an episode from season six, Winds of Winter. So Kiss by Fire, that would double us up two season three episodes. The Door, that would double us up on season six episodes. Why not throw some season two in there for folks, right? Let's let's give them some like OG, like really direct 
book on TV adaptation. <laughs> um, if you want to vote for the second largest <laughs> Dragonfire explosion in King's Landing. That's true. I mean, it is also, you know, the episode that really sort of uh, showed us what Wildfire could do. And we were reminded that there's Wildfire all over the city. Something Daenerys clearly didn't... No, no, she knew at the end. Never mind. She knew that there was wildfire there. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the bells went off, Neil. So Yeah, I, I mean, the bells. Who can resist the bells? Uh, so that would be my last that? point for Blackwater, which, again, I think, you know, another one where they brought in Neil Marshall to do something they had not done yet, and they created this massive battle episode that, you know, it's got the character moments, it's got the big stuff. I think it's all the stuff that that Thrones loves. But uh, again, this is an extremely tough choice with these three episodes. Okay, so what I've what I've learned in the past 10, 15 minutes is we all really like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. as hosts of this show. And then what I've learned uh, as this show has gone on is that uh, people who listen to the entire podcast are very nice. Uh, and sometimes people uh, who don't listen to the podcast just see the poll and get all mad. Uh, so I think we should throw in Kiss by Fire. I mean, interesting. We could. <laughs> if people are like, "What about the door?" I'll be like, "Listen, we got really close to the door. We love all of these. We, you know." I think Dave wants to win lots this of week. Children. <laughs> Dave wants to win this. I week. think Dave's trying to little finger his way to a win. Um, and he knows that Kiss by Fire is yeah, traditionally not... worked out all the time for little finger. <laughs> He knows that Kiss by Fire is not going to win. Um, no, no, I'm making a little finger mistake. I'm putting a redhead into the thing, being like, <laughs> she's not going to be worth anything, and it's going to it's gonna blow up in my face. Um, I mean, I'm trying to, like, vision what the poll, the Twitter poll is going to look like, and it's either Frosty Hodor against the door, right? Or it's mm-hmm. grimy Jamie Lannister in a bathtub. Or I'm, it's Bronn with his flaming arrow. It's not Blackwater Bay. (laughs) (laughs) I just want people to know that I put up a fight for Blackwater. I am normally the one who gives gives up on his listener pick after being like, it was just nice to talk about this one. (laughs) Wait, is that the story you're telling now after your weeks of like listener assist, Neil? I'm responsible for all these listener wins. Okay. Um, Hey, remember at the end of Game of Thrones when <laughs> Tyrion invented uh, democracy in the Electoral College? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why did the veil get two votes? That's what I still want to know. Dave, did you uh you want to vote for Kiss for Kiss by Fire? I'll 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 yes. All right. I'll leave Hodor holding that door and move Kiss All by right. Fire up. The voting block has it. It's Kiss by Fire. Sure. I will abstain in Blackwater's <laughs> honor. <laughs> So our listener pick is Kissed by Fire. That means it's time for closing arguments where we each get to make one more argument for our episode over all the other episodes. It's going to go in the reverse order, which means I get to start. Guys, Winds of Winter is not a feel-bad episode. Uh, I mean, sure, maybe you really like Grandmaster Pycelle. Or maybe you're like, why did they scar the face of the immortal Iron Fist? It's okay. His mask goes over that part. (laughs) He'll be perfectly fine. I just think that you have some uh, peak Thrones as a television production mixing with uh, some 
little nuggets that they know are actually going to happen in the books and they need to happen now so they could start making their own show in season seven. And all together, that smoothie that has to wrap up the leftover pieces from the disappointing Battle of the Bastards. Sorry, I just lost your vote. But vote for Winds of Winter. All right, it's my turn and I'm going to use a quote from this episode, a, a moment that I conveniently left out of my opening so that I could bring it in as a closer. This is one Miss Daenerys Targaryen who knows a lot about politics. She says, Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top. Then that one's on top. And on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Break the wheels from my episode, guys. That's in Hardhome. And I think you should go ahead and break the wheel and vote for, for Hardhome. That's what I say. What what could go wrong with breaking the wheel? Worked out for Daenerys. The end. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that brings us to me. And with that, I would like to remind you that the Reigns of Castamere, the episode I have chosen, is the one that includes the Red Wedding. It was, I don't know, the end of Game of Thrones is pretty grim, but I don't think there's a more grim moment <laughs> that works so well as the Red Wedding. And if you, you know, if there's a song I would like you to 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 hear in your mind as you're voting, it's and so he spoke, and so he spoke, that Lord of Castamere. But now the rains weep o'er his all, with no one there to hear. One of these weeks, we're going to ban Neil from singing. He's not allowed to <laughs> use that. This is like we'll the just only wait place I get to sing. It, where it's like, you, you, Neil, you can't hum, you can't sing. You got you to gotta stop doing that. All right, find our poll for the best episode of Game of Thrones on TheRinger.com, on at Ringer on, on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find Trial by Content. You could choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week as we hard pivot. Neil, mm. what's happening? Well, next week we begin our House of the Dragon era. There will be discussions. There will be debates. There will be uh, dragons. And, of course, we will be answering your ravens uh, as we storm through some book spoilers and some calm topics. So make sure you send your thoughts on the first episode of House of the Dragon, your questions about that first episode, or who's, about who's that the blonde text. Guy? Who's that blonde girl? Yeah. What's Who that are all these doing? blonde people? <laughs> uh, you can always reach us at trialbycontent at gmail.com. And uh, as of course, even while we're covering House of the Dragon for the next 10 weeks, you can submit suggestions for future trials. You can ask us questions that are unrelated. Whatever you want to do, send them over to trialbycontent at gmail.com. All right. You know what that means. Uh, we shall win no crowns and we shall win no glory. Night gathers. Next week, our watch begins. This episode is produced by Carlos Cherubogo. Yeah.